well, he is worthy of our worship, isn't he? He's holy. There's none beside him. Uh, so thankful that we have the chance to worship through song. Appreciate our music team uh, faithfully leading us in song, and hope you join in singing. Uh, I uh, love to encourage guys, especially you know, because we're too cool to sing, right? And uh, but I guarantee you, back in the day, or even in this day, depending on how old you are, you had a song for your girl. And I guarantee if I pulled up next to you in a car, you'd be singing, right? And what we have to sing to the Lord is so much better than any of those love songs we sing to our girl, those favorite songs we sing in our car or in the shower, right? So if you're one of those guys that thinks you're too cool to sing, we, we, we just called your bluff, all right? You sing. We all sing. We were made to sing. We express a lot of our emotions, don't we, through song. That's how God created us. Now, we may not sing well. That's okay. I'm one of those people, right? But, hey, just sing, right? So, well, <clears throat> we welcome you if you're, you're new here uh, um, to Botter's House. We're thankful you chose to join us this morning to, to worship through song, through prayer, through the word. And my name is Brian McKenzie. serve as one of the elders here and have the privilege to teach a couple times a month. And uh, we are in this series in Genesis, you see there, and uh, called Beginnings. That's what the word Genesis means, beginning. And this morning, we are going to be examining Genesis 4 and 5. Yes, two chapters, 4 and 5. And I was reminded that the Chiefs don't play today, so. You got a couple, one hallelujah, thank you, Aaron. You and I will be here till 2.15, brother. The rest of them can leave, right? So, no, but uh, we're, we're going to be doing uh, the beginning of death Boy, welcome to the Potter's House. We're going to talk about the beginning of death this morning, all right? I was looking at just how the schedule, Jay and I were talking about this week. I brought it up to Jay that, you know, he had like the beginning of redemption last week. I get the beginning of death. He's going to get the beginning of salvation in a couple weeks, and I'm going to get the beginning of judgment. <laughs> so I'm not sure exactly what that's communicating and the way this has fallen out, but that's where we are, okay? But this is the beginning of death, and I, I encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to go ahead and just turn to Genesis chapter 4. Um, so we'll be there in just a few minutes. We're actually going to be doing 4 and 5, but we also will begin in, in chapter 4. And, but before we examine our passage for this morning, uh, we want to do something that we always do around here is we want to review. We want to review where we've been, and specifically where we've been um, last week with Jay's message in uh, Genesis 3, 8 through 24, in the beginning of redemption. Uh, Jay pointed out an, an, an important flow or order of the Lord, uh, Lord God's response to Adam and Eve following their sin. All right, so, and, and I'll just remind you what that order is. All right? First there were questions, then curse, then promise, then provision. I hope you, if you were here you saw that and were able to follow along with that. Uh, God began by taking, by asking a series of questions, not for the purpose of needing information. God never needs information. We've got to remember that. Any time we see God asking questions, it's not because he doesn't know, right? He knows everything. But instead, they, they were rhetorical questions, meaning the Lord knew the answers to the questions, but he was prompting Adam and Eve to think about what they had done. So he asked these questions. And in other words, the Lord was giving Adam and Eve an opportunity to confess, of their, confess their sin. Regardless, okay, and there's some debate on this, but regardless how passionate, strong, or remorseful we may think their confessions were, their responses did contain truth that they had indeed eaten from the, true, the, knowledge of the, the fruit of the knowledge, fruit 
from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did say that, right? They confessed, okay, I did it. And the answers to the Lord's questions show that they understood that something now was wrong with the relationship with the Lord. It was different. And when the Lord is done asking his questions and Adam and Eve do confess what they had done, the Lord gives the curse, right? So we have the questions first, and then we have the curse. And wrongly thought he was starting his own, but in reality he was just joining the enemy's kingdom, Satan's kingdom. And the consequences to that is that he loses the blessings that go along with God's kingdom. Jay pointed out that the curses are the consequences that each of the people involved, right? The serpent, the woman, the man, and went into detail on that. And I encourage you to go listen to that if you haven't. He also made, made a very important point as to what the Lord had said as to what the consequences of the eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would be. Listen, he did not say, if you eat it, I will kill you. It's real important. Is that what he said? No. He said, if you eat it, you will die. And, and the death that God was speaking here, Jay pointed out, was spiritual and not physical. Adam's spiritual connection with God ended when he disobeyed God and assumed authority for himself, right? And, and Adam's immediate spiritual death led to his eventual physical death, which we'll see in our passage today. Jay then pointed out the promise, Right? There's a promise. The Lord's promise was found in Genesis 3.15. And we've quoted this verse a number of times. I know I have. I know Jay has. Because it just comes up because it's so foundational for all of Scripture. If you've never really studied Genesis 3.15, I encourage you to go back and look at it from last week. But we'll, we'll reference it again today. And we saw that the promise was of a man that would be sent by the Lord God and, and would be born of a woman and, and a virgin at that. And he would be wounded by the serpent. There would be a striking of his heel. And in so doing, he would crush the serpent's head. Hmm. That sounds familiar. Sounds like the story of the Bible, right? And Adam responded, we saw, in faith to God's word of promise by naming his wife, what? Eve, which means life. If he didn't believe God's promise that there was going to be life to come and ultimately life, eternal life and life that would crush the consequences of sin, he would have never named her Eve. He would have named her death, not life. But he has faith in God's promise. And then Jay pointed out the provision. As the Lord replaced the feeble attempt to cover their sin with fig leaves, these loin claws made out of fig leaves, and he replaced them with animal skins that the Lord got from taking the life of innocent animals. And the Lord Put the skins on them. I love that. You see, the Lord did all the work. They didn't do any of the work. The Lord did all the work, and they trusted his provision for them. I've said this before. I know Jay said something like this before, but the only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin. That's what we, that's what we bring to the table. And God brings the provision for our sin, and he did that for him. And obviously this ultimately points, this, this picture here, we saw this in our series on the Lamb up to Christmas. This obviously points to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus, who was sent to die in our place and replace our feeble attempts to make ourselves right with God through our own effort. Anybody ever try to do that? If you have, how'd that go? It doesn't work. It's impossible. The other provision from the Lord was seen in the fact that he drove out Adam and Eve of the garden and, and stationed cherubim to prevent them from eating of the tree of life. You're saying, provision? What? 
provision. How is that provision? Well, if they would have eaten from the tree of life in the state they were in now, they would have lived forever in the present fallen state. The Lord graciously makes provision so this won't happen. He keeps them from coming into the tree of life. Let me just say this real quick. Because people have got caught up. I wonder where the Garden of Eden is. We got to go look for it, right? It's not there anymore. There was a flood. It's not there. there, there hey, but you know what's going to be great? I'll just throw this out here. This is, is one day we will have access to the tree of life again. You see that in Revelation. Hey, guys, the, the Bible wasn't just thrown together by a bunch of people, by a bunch of dudes that didn't understand. God was moving through them. We start with the tree of life. We end it with the tree of life. And everything in between ties together. We're going to see some of that today. I'm already getting excited. I've got to get going because we've got so much to cover, all right? But the Lord, Lord graciously makes his provision for them. So Jay also pointed out that this pattern, questions, curse, promise, provision, is reoccurring throughout Genesis. And we're going to see that today. All right? So, and then Jay used this biblical pattern uh, to help us examine our own self, didn't he? And ultimately landed with, we were challenged to turn from trying to cover our own sin with our own feeble effort and turn and trust in Jesus' payment, his perfect provision for sin through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. With that review, let's now turn our attention to where we're going to look at today in, in Genesis. And I would ask you, as we always do, to stand and read with me our passage today. Now, we're going to, this is going to be a long reading. I think it's important that we read this together. There's so much here, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the rest of it after this, starting verse 17. But let's read together God's word for us this morning. Now, the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to her brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions, and the Lord had great regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what you have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. 
what I want to ask us to do this morning, just, just bow our heads and just take a moment right where you are and just ask the Lord to speak to you through his word today. Lord, we know you've heard our prayers. Speak to us today and make us more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to turn now our attention to chapters 4 and 5, the beginning of death here. Uh, we read some of this, and let me begin by picking up the story where we left off in verse 16 uh, with verse 17. You can follow along with me if you're a copy of God's Word there in verse 17 as we look at the rest of the story, uh, beginning in verse 17. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch, and he built a city and called the name, the, 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 the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad became the father of Mahujil, and Mahujil became the father of Methuselah, and Methuselah became the father of Lamech. Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play lyre and harp. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to his son, to a son named Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Wow, there's a lot there. And this morning as we examine uh, chapters 4 or 5 of Genesis, I'll, I'll be pointing out some key implications that I think will lead to applications for our life as we, we walk down through this passage. And once again, let me remind you, it's impossible to cover everything in this, I guarantee you. And it's okay. You come, hey, you know, you didn't cover this. I'm going to go, I'm with you. All right? But there's no way we can do that in the time that we have to cover it all. But we're going to hit the highlights. Now, it may not be your highlights, but at least the highlights I'm going to point out, okay? And with that foundation that we're going to lay out here today, I want to encourage you to go home and, and get back into the Word and begin to look at it and, and, and study it more and see all the gems that are here. I want to say this so I don't forget later, right? Do not skip genealogies in the Bible. I've talked to people, you read through the Bible? Yeah, but, you know, I didn't read the genealogies and stuff. I just skipped right over them. Don't do that. I'm going to point out a couple of things from the genealogy today. You may go, oh, my goodness, that was in there? Yeah, it was there. Do not skip over the genealogies. They're important, and you'll find nuggets that will tie together the places in Scripture that all of a sudden make things that come alive like never before. So don't skip over them. Dive back into them. So we mentioned earlier that at the end of chapter 3, Adam and Eve find themselves outside of the Garden Eden. The chairman's guarding the garden so they can't get back to the tree of life. And, and, and they're outside the immediate and intimate presence of the Lord. So what would happen next? What would become of Adam and Eve? Well, the first thing I want us to notice in, that in, in chapter 4, start, it, it starts off with great hope. There's a lot of hope at the beginning of chapter 4. All right, In verse 1, now the man had a relation with his wife, and she conceived and birth, gave birth to, 
Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. After giving birth to, to Cain, Eve says, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. First notice that Eve gives credit to the Lord for enabling her to give birth. All right, that's what she does. She says, the Lord, it's the help of the Lord who did this. Eve derives great hope from this because the Lord had come through on his promise from Genesis 15 and 16 to her, all right, that she would, that children would come forth from her, right? So, hey, look, the God, you know, the Lord kept his promise to me. However, her hope goes even beyond the Lord giving her a child. Notice that she is very specific about the gender of this child. Now, this is the New American Standard. This is what I've just come from with. I've been reading a long time. It says man-child. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? All right, let me help you here. Other translations, I've gotten a man. I've had a male child. I've brought forth a man. It's emphasizing a child that is a male. All right? That's what the emphasis is there. And this emphasis on giving birth to a male or a man points back to Genesis 3.15, where we saw the promise from the Lord last week, and we just mentioned it again. I will put in between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed, he, now the seed has become a first-person masculine pronoun. He, specific guy, man, shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. The Lord promised that a seed, an offspring, would ultimately crush the serpent's head, and not only a seed, but a male seed, a he, a man. Eve's words in 4.1 point to her belief that the son, her son, Cain, was perhaps the fulfillment of the promise of Genesis 3.15 that, that, that promised a woman to have a child that would crush the serpent's head, would take care of this problem of sin. She was hopeful. Here it is. God said I would have a child. He promised this whole seed thing and there would be a male and maybe this is, this is going to be it. Well, the possibility that Cain was the one who would defeat Satan and sin restore paradise was certainly something to be hopeful for. Especially since Eve and Adam had once experienced an intimate relationship with the Lord, and now they find themselves excluded from the intimate relationship. So here she has a child. There's, there's hope. Do you all feel the hope? Do you see the hope she has? We will, of course, see from our passage this morning that Eve's hope for Cain was misguided. But... With the birth of a child, it brought hope as it caused them to remember the promise of God. Think about this. Every time a child is born, it should remind us of the promise of God. Now, this promise specifically was, has already come ful fulfilled, but it should remind us of that promise and what he did through this child. And the fact that verse 2 says she gave birth to his brother Abel would bring further hope in the promise of God. Well, after this introduction to, of hope to the narrative, things take a strange turn. All right, look at this. And this is chapter, well, should, yeah, chapter 4, 2b through 5a, all right? It says, And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, brought fruit fourth fruit firstlings of the flock and the flat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. This is puzzling. Well, why do I say that? Why was Cain's offering not regarded as accepted by the Lord? Why is that? Now, this may not seem puzzling to you, but the original recipients of these five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, 
it would be puzzling. They would go, what? What? I don't understand that. Why? Well, the text emphasizes the work that both of the men did. Notice. Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks. He was a shepherd. It, It emphasizes that. It tells us that's what they did. They brought an offering to the Lord based on what they had. Right? One, one had sheep or lambs or whatever, you know, and the other one had fruit from the ground. It's a farmer. The word offering they, here, they both brought an offering. Used for both Cain and Abel's offering is a general term used for a gift of homage, allegiance, a thanks offering. It could have been a burnt offering possibly. It can be used of both animal and grain or fruit offerings. And in fact, it's used more often for grain and fruit offerings throughout the Pentateuch. Are you getting the puzzle with me now? What? And in the law that would be given later, which the original readers would have known as they heard this account, both were acceptable offerings. So why was Cain's offering not regarded or accepted by the Lord? Well, we need to read on to figure out what was going on here, okay? So what happens next in 5b? All right. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. In other words, Cain was burned up with anger towards the Lord for the Lord's disapproval of him and his, his offering for worship, which go together, right? The, the, word, the, the word actually his, means his face was on fire. You ever been there? Don't, don't raise your hand right now, okay? All right. <clears throat> but then, then in verse 6, right, look what it says. It, it, you know, we see these, the, the, the questions of why are you angry and why is your countenance fall? And the Lord is basically saying here, you have no right to be angry. There's no, why are you doing that? You have no right to be angry. Then the Lord clarifies the issue by giving his word on the subject when he says in verse 7, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Or other translation, if you do well, will you not be accepted? That's what he's saying. If you do well. Notice the words here, do well. Do well. This is equivalent to obeying God's word. If you obey my word, if you do well, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. This is, this is, this is God's word. The Lord says, obey my word and bring me an acceptable offering and you will be accepted. So what was the acceptable offering in this case? Well, I'll say this, and probably in this room, godly men and women differ on this. What exactly was this offering? The first option is it needed to be the best of the fruit of the ground. So I just want to notice you here for this, this side of the argument. And ultimately, I don't think the argument makes a big difference, which we'll see here. But notice what it says about, uh, uh, about the fruit of the ground. It merely says that Cain brought some fruit of the ground. But of Abel, what does it say? He brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, which was the best of his offering, right? So possibility is that, that Cain didn't, he brought fruit and grain, which would be an acceptable offering, but he didn't bring his best. And God was saying, you need to bring your best. So just bring your best, all right? The other option is he needed to bring an animal sacrifice like Abel's, okay? And either one all right, we got to understand this, whichever it is, this text doesn't explicitly say, which it is, it can be implied, you can see either way, but we can be assured that Cain knew exactly what the Lord meant. That's, what, that's my point here. 
We can be sure Cain knew exactly what the word of the Lord was on this. He wasn't scratching his head. God would not have done that, all right? And the Lord has the right to require whatever he wants. If he would have said, hey, bring water to the offering, well, that's what he required. He has the right to do that. What happens next is the real issue, right? Here's the real issue. First notice, all right, that the Lord gives Cain a gracious but sobering warning with the following words at the end of verse 7. Sin is crouching at your door, all right, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Here we see the Lord graciously warn Cain of the consequences he will face if he allows his anger to continue and then sin by disobeying the Lord's word on how and what he should bring as an offering. Sin is pictured here as, as a wild beast desiring to pounce on Cain and overpower him. Anybody felt sin like that before? Like a wild beast ready to pounce on you? That's the picture here. Cain has an option. Master sin and obey the Lord or allow his anger to continue to burn against the Lord and let the beast of sin win and ultimately disobey the Lord. He's got an option here. It was the same choice that Adam faced. Bring glory to himself by rejecting God's authority and his kingdom or bring glory to the Lord by submitting to his authority and his kingdom. So what should Cain's response be here? What should it be? Well, how about that? We know what it is, but what should it be? I thought about this. So if my boss with fellow Christian athletes, that's, who, I, that's my, who I'm employed by, asked me for, to do a project, and I return to him with the project that I've done, but he's not happy with it, my response should be, how can I fix this? How can I make this right? My heart and action should say, yes, sir, I will get on it and make it right, whatever I need to do. That's the way I should respond to my boss, right? And that's the way that Cain should have responded to the Lord. But is that the way he responded? No. We see in verse 8, he doesn't respond. Instead, he disobeys God's word and allows the beast of sin to master him, and he murders his brother Abel. Wow. Chapter 4 started off with such hope. How did we get here? We have the first recorded physical death of a human, one who's made in the image of God. Remember that. The death of a human, because it's going to come up again. A death of a murder of a human, right, made in the image of God. We've already seen spiritual death in, in chapter 3, but here in, in chapter 4 we see physical death the very first time. And remember that spiritual death leads ultimately to physical death. Now, do you remember the pattern that Jay pointed out last week of Adam and Eve and, and how God dealt with them in chapter 3 um, that I reminded us of earlier? Guess what? It's getting ready to show up here again. So let's throw it up here remind us, all right? Questions, curse, promise, provision. We'll see it in the text. It's like God wrote this or something, huh? It's unbelievable, right? So look at me at verse 9. All right, and see, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? All right, and again, the Lord, his question here is not because he doesn't know. He doesn't lack any knowledge. As we see, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, right? 
In the Lord's question, we once again see the mercy of the Lord in giving Cain an opportunity to confess and repent of his sin. That's what the question's for. He's giving him opportunity. Well, how does Cain respond to the Lord? His merciful question. Look at the second half there of verse 9. First, he says, I do not know. I do not know. Unlike Adam and Eve, however weak you may think their confession may have been, Cain does not confess his sin. There's nothing truthful about what he says. I don't know. Which just amazes me. Now, when we know who God is, how can you lie to God? You ever lied to God? Tried to? Tried to hide from God? Think about how silly that is. I, I think about, you know, when Adam tried to hide from God. Can you imagine that? He got behind some skinny tree, you know, and trying to go, you'll never see me behind here. I mean, just think about it. That's how silly this is, right? So he says, no, I don't know. He's not like Adam and Eve. He just denies it. He doesn't confess anything. Then he sarcastically asks the Lord, am I brother's keeper? It's sarcasm. He's sarcastic with the Lord. He's so warped by sin that he's mocking and ridiculing and joking around about the cold-blooded murder of his brother Abel. Sin is not only crouched at his door, but it's pounced on him. And he's so skewed now by his sin and his heart toward God, and his heart toward his brother, his hate. It just messed, every, it messed his, his ability to think. Cain is now experiencing the runaway train of sin and being mastered by it. Let me give quickly just share something which I heard years ago that, that helped me. It's, it's sobering, but I want you to hear this. And I'll say it a few times if you're a note taker. Listen. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I added a fourth one to that and hurt others along the way. Let me say that again. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay, and hurt others along the way. And Cain has experienced this in full right now. And my guess is we've all experienced that. This should be a sober and merciful warning for all of us here this morning when it comes to the consequences of sin and its desire to master us. Not only did sin want to master Cain, you know what? Sin wants to master you. Sin wants to master you. He wants to master me. And the good news is if you're in Christ by faith this morning, he has given us the power to overcome the master of sin. Hey, there's a new sheriff in town if you know Jesus. And it's Jesus. And when sin comes knocking, just send Jesus after him. That's what Romans 6 teaches. You can go read that later, not right now, all right? We've now seen the Lord's merciful question and Cain's rebellious response. Now we see the Lord's curse, which is the next, right? With the question, then the curse, the consequences of Cain's sin in verses 11 and 12. Now you curse on the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength, yield to strength, its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wonder on the earth. The curse was that Cain, the farmer, would lose his green thumb, in a sense. He would not be able to do what he had always done, settle in a place, and cultivate the ground and live off the ground. He would be forever a wanderer. You ever try to be a farmer and a wanderer? It doesn't work. I want us to see something Something really important here in, in, in verse 11. Look, look at this phrase. Now, you are cursed from the ground. 
We were cursed from the ground. Now, now look at Genesis 3, 14. Okay, now we always got to be careful about the numbers because they can throw us off. This is all one big section we're looking at, right? Look at 3.14. This is, this is at part of the curse the Lord gave to the serpent. Cursed are you more than all cattle. You see any similarities here? I hope you do. You are cursed. Cursed are you. In Hebrew, it's the exact same words. It's actually two words. It's the exact same words. And if we're reading along or hearing this read, we, oh, I remember that. He just said the exact same words about the serpent that he's saying about Cain now. Track with me here. These two phrases, all right, are meant to connect the serpent and Cain together. The Lord through John refers to this very thing. Look what he says in 1 John 3, 12. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one. That's what he says about Cain. And slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But here's the point. The Lord through John says that Cain was of who? The evil one. And he's just taking his clues from Jesus here. Because in John 8, Jesus says, talking to his, his enemies or detractors or oppositions, you are of your father the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. Maybe talking about this murder we just saw. And he also calls him in that same passage, he's the father of lies. Maybe Eve. He's the father of lies. So we see the, the Lord through Moses wants us to connect Cain with the seed of the serpent. He, was sought, he, he has sought his own glory, Cain has, just like the serpent did, wanting to build his own kingdom. And he's therefore proven himself to be of the kingdom of darkness. The Lord through Moses is clearly pointing out there's two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness, the seed of the serpent, and the kingdom of light, which will culminate and find its fulfillment in the seed of the woman, Jesus. We've seen the Lord's question now. We've seen his curse. Let me briefly point out his promise and provision. Look here in verses 13 and four, through 14. Cain said to the Lord, um, a punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from the face I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wonder of the earth, and for whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 13 and 14, he, he, Cain complains that his punishment is too great. Cain's assessment is not even close to being right. You catch that? He's complaining it's too great. He's not even close. Why? Because the Lord could have taken his life right then and that would have been just. What's he complaining about? He's still breathing. I, I still remember this. I, I, I didn't have time to bring the video clip. and It's not even in my notes, but I've got to share this with you. There was a question and answer period one time. Um, R.C. Sproul, if you know him, he was in this panel of guys. Somebody asked this question about Adam and Eve. And, you know, why was God... So harsh to Adam and Eve. <laughs> and and, and, and Dr. Sproul, said, he just waited. He said, harsh to Adam and Eve? What's wrong with you people? He was so gracious to them. We don't understand who God is. 
when we think he was too harsh. And when Cain, he didn't understand who God was, he thought he was too harsh. So, oh, he wasn't harsh at all. And we're going to see he's even more gracious to Cain. Man, when we start complaining about God and our consequences of our sin, what in the world are we thinking? We put ourselves in the mess, and he could take our life right there, and he'd be just, and nobody could question the justice of God if he took our life every time we sin. But it'd only take once, right, if he did that. Not every time, but yeah, I mean, think about that. Man, unbelievable how gracious. Yes, notice what it says, the phrase in verse 15, all right? <clears throat> so the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold, right? That's the promise. If somebody takes his life, God says, well, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And now, now notice the, the, the next half of verse 15. It says, and the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one would find him finding that. So no one finding him would slay him. Here's the provision. He provides this sign. We don't know what the sign is. I've heard all kinds of things. It doesn't say what the sign is. So whatever everybody says, it's got to be this. I just don't see what it is. But it's a sign, something. They would know, don't mess with Cain. Covering, and he covered Adam and Eve with. But it's still a provision, isn't it? He provided them covering. He's providing him covering in a different way. See how all this goes together? You can't miss it when you get in here. I love this, the, 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 you know, the children's storybook Bible. It says every, every story whispers his name. Some of them scream his name. Jesus! Well, you can't miss it, right? Wow, what an amazing grace that the Lord gave Cain to make this promise and provision for him. This is grace, getting something you don't deserve. Did he deserve this? No, but God is so crazy. He's still as gracious to Cain. This is what we would call common grace. Common grace is, is called common grace because it points to the grace God gives to the righteous and the unrighteous. Now look at verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. This phrase here. Uh, Cain would no longer have direct contact with the Lord. And then the last part of verse 16, he goes to this place, the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word Nod means wandering or exile. That's what he said. He's going he's to go to Nod. Right? East of Eden points to a place away from God that was opposed to the place where God dwelt. Where did, where did Adam and Eve get cast out? To the east. Out of the presence of the Lord. Same with Cain. And this is a theme that we'll see. Remember, this is all part of the beginning of death. And where does death come from? Well, the Lord through Paul gives a summary. We don't have time to dive into this greatly, but in Romans 5, 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man... Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Death, spiritual and physical, is the consequence and the direct result of sin. That's where death comes in. Well, in verses 17 through 24, we find the genealogy of Cain, and we're introduced to some pretty bad characters. I encourage you to go read it. They're, they're not great people. And, and, and they prove themselves to be the seed of the serpent, or the kingdom of darkness. You, you can't miss it. There's pride. There's polygamy. There's, yes, polygamy is a sin. Even though David had all, it, 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 Solomon sin. Because what was God's original intention? One man, one woman. This is the first, and, and it all goes wrong. I'm, don't hear this, ladies. You have two, yeah, you get two women, it's twice tr trouble is one. That's not what it's saying. But it went against God's word. If you get a woman and two men, there's a problem. And you, that you, anytime you see polygamy in the Bible, when does it look good? It doesn't look good at all. There's always problems because it's against God's word. Got to get back on here, all right? Polygamy, murder, boasting about murder. 
Yet in the midst of all this sin and death in chapter 4, it ends with hope. It began with hope, and it ends with hope. Look at verses 25 and 26. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also a son was born, and his, called his name Enosh. These, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. The hope is found in Seth and Eve's words about Seth. God has appointed to me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed Abel. The word offering, I mean, the word offspring here, all right, I think I highlighted it here. The word offspring is the exact same word as seed, and I don't know why they didn't translate it that way. It's the exact same word in the Hebrew from Genesis 3.15, showing that Adam and Eve now are hoping Seth will be the fulfillment of the Lord's promise. Unbelievable. But there's hope now, isn't there? After all that death, all right, in, in the midst of all this death, we see hope, hope in now, again, Seth is a mere man. He's going to die, which we'll see. Uh, and, and, but there's hope. Their hope's not entirely misplaced, right? Because through Seth's line, physically, one day a virgin will give birth to the seed, Jesus, the Savior from sin. You, you, you see that there's hope. There's hope. And we're going back to Genesis 3.15, what God had promised. Well, as chapter 4 ends with hope in the midst of death, it flows into this genealogy, uh, a 10-member genealogy for Adam. And this highlights a, a bunch of things. I'm going to mention a few of them, all right? We're, we're um, going into to chapter 5 now, all right? First, after presenting each generation, we see the following, or each member, not necessarily generation, member he brings up, right? He starts with Adam, then he goes to Seth, and then he goes to Enosh, and Canaan and, you know, all these, all these names, all right? After each of these ten, ten people and their genealogies, it says, and he died. Ten times. And I want to help us feel the emphasis of what the Lord's writing through Moses here. And he died. 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 Death. 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 Death, death, death. You feel that? We're meant to feel that. Because the wages of sin is death. And there's death. The second thing highlighted by, by, by this detailed and extended genealogy is how it contrasts with how brief and insufficient the genealogy of Cain was from the kingdom of darkness. Actually, they skipped some generations there. I mean, it's like, we'll get this short little generation, they're evil, and then we're going to get this extended generation. There's a contrast here. And this is a theme throughout Genesis and the Old Testament. All right, we're going we're to go from Adam to Noah. The next 10 member genealogy all right, goes to Noah from Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, and there's a 10 member genealogy with all of them. And the evil line gets this much attention. God's trying to tell us something that he's on the move, and his plan to bring redemption to the world is never going to be thwarted. Isn't that good news? Well, although there's much more in this genealogy, I'm going to point one more highlight. In the midst of death, highlighted by, and he died ten times, there's still hope in this chapter. Like there's a bunch of hope. I want you to go back and look. There's a bunch of neat stuff in here. But the hope is found in the mention of Noah and what it says about Noah in verse 29. What it says. Now, he called, this is, this, this is, this is Lamech, Noah's dad, called his name Noah, which the Lord 
has cursed. Now, now, do you recognize some words that may be familiar that are spoken about Noah that were from Genesis 3? If not, I'm going to help you, all right? Notice the words in 3.17. Cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you will eat all the days of your life. This is talking about the serpent again, all right? I mean, talking about Adam, I'm sorry, talking about Adam, all right? So you got Noah, and it says toil, ground, cursed, and then with, with, with Adam, it's cursed, ground, toil, the same three words. Do you see the hope the Lord wants to give in the midst of death? There is hope that Noah will be the one who reverses the curse of sin. They're actually in reverse order. Do you see that? The words are in in reverse order in the Hebrew too. The hope is that this man Noah, maybe he'll be the one. Hey, there's hope. And he died. died. Hey, but Noah, but Noah, there's hope. Now, I don't want to spoil the next few chapters, but I will at least say that the introduction of Noah and the hope expressed by his his father naming him this, all right, or or their hope, all right, the, the, the hope of of people reading this, that there's hope, and there's hope in Noah's day, hope in his father's day, all right, is, is, is well-founded. The Lord will use him in his plan as a rescuer, but he's a mere man, and he will die. However, the fact that the Lord uses him to rescue his people physically points to the ultimate rescuer, Jesus, who will rescue people from their penalty, power, and presence of sin. Isn't it amazing how every story Shouts his name. The point here is that even in the midst of death, there is hope for life. Real hope that we, be, we realized in, in the Lord's eternal plan to rescue people from the consequences of sin. There's hope in the midst of death. Do you hear that? There's hope in the midst of death. Well, so what? What difference does all this make? I, I point out the multiple implications in, in the text that you can apply. Some of them beware of sin and its consequences, Right? And remember, there's a new sheriff in town if you know Jesus. You don't have to obey sin anymore. We still do, but we don't have to. Embrace God's word. Don't be like Cain. Embrace God's word. Yes, Lord, I blew it. What do I need to do to make it right? Embrace his word. Obey it. Embrace the power he gives you to overcome the power of sin. And rejoice in his amazing grace in spite of our sin. Boy, if we would live in that posture, Lord, I deserve nothing. Somebody asked me how I was doing this morning. What was my response? Better than I deserve. Everybody thinks Dave Ramsey came up with that? Nope, God came up with that. It's called grace. We need to live in that posture, right? Lastly, know that this beginning of death ultimately points to the gospel where we find true life. For God's word says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which is a definition of sin. We make much of ourselves and not much of God. We don't glorify God. Just like Adam didn't, Cain didn't, all people haven't. Make much of ourselves. We, we don't bring God glory. We sin. We've fallen short of his glory. And it says the wages of sin, the payment for our sin is death. And he died, and we will die too. And it's spiritual death first. Right? The wages of sin is death. And ultimately, it could be death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But we've got to receive this gift. They receive it by faith. So if you're here this morning and, and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior from sin, then I want to lovingly challenge you just as did, Jay did last week to turn from trying to cover your own sin with your feeble effort and turn and trust in Jesus' perfect provision for you through his life, his death, 
his burial, his resurrection. If you do this, or you have done this, know that through Jesus' resurrection, we have victory over sin and death. Isn't that good news? Prove it. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. Oh, death, where is your victory? It's talking about the resurrection, all right? This is the resurrection chapter, all right? Verse, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death, the sting of sin is de- the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory. We have Nike. That's what this Greek word is. Pretty good name for a shoe, huh? Victory. But we have victory over sin. We get to stomp on sin with the, 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 the shoes of the gospel of peace, right, that he's given us through faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. That's good news. That's what's called the gospel. Good news. Hey, after I pray, there'll be people down here. If you want to pray with somebody, if you have questions, you want to talk about something going on in your life, talk about how you can come to know the Lord, uh, please uh, visit the, the couple. There'll be a couple here and a couple there. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your amazing word. Lord, thank you that in the midst of death, the beginning of death, there's hope. There's always been hope, even with death present. And Lord, you made sure that that the original readers saw it, the people who were involved in it saw it, Lord, that we would see it. There's always hope because of you, because of the provision of your son who conquers sin and death on our behalf. We give you thanks for this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, based on that truth that we have victory, all right, what's that make you want to do? Shout, Shout? yeah. You know, I love it because Paul knew that some old linebacker had been hitting the head too many times. He would need some encouragement here. Based upon the resurrection and his victory over sin and death, stand with me and read with me what Paul, the Lord through Paul tells us to do. This is an exhortation this is what he wants us to do. What should we want to do? We should want to do this. All right? Read this. It's, it's the next verse. We just read to 57. This is 58. Here we go. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. By God's grace, let's be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our, toil, that our labor is not in vain. Our toil is not in vain in the Lord. Go get them. Praise God.